Thank you, worship team. And uh, it's so good to praise the Lord. Um, we talked about Jehoshaphat a while back and uh, how they sent out the, the worship team ahead of the, the army. Would you guys like to be sent out ahead with things? <laughs> we praise the Lord and we go forth. And we know he's the one who fights the battles for us and does those things. But if you'd turn your Bibles to John 18... Uh, Beginning there at verse 38 through 19, verse 6. We're going to read that in just a second here. On Wednesday evening, we uh, went to Herod's court as we were going with the Lord all the way um, to the cross here. And uh, Todd, or should I say Pastor Todd Westlake, um, led us to that part of things and uh, did a great job with things. But we want to go back now as we were taken back to Pilate and uh, brought to what Jesus is doing there. So let's read these words, and you may remain seated out of respect to God's word today. Just follow along as we honor him. Beginning there um, in John 18, verse 38. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that it's about you. We don't always grasp each part, Lord, but we come to you. And we ask you, O Holy Spirit, again, as you promised, to open this word up to us. Help me today to say the only words that you want said. Lord, thank you. Sanctify us in this truth, in your word, for your word is eternal truth. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Three words that Pilate says have inspired some of the world's greatest paintings. It's the words, behold the man. This is the man. Pilate uttered these words as he pointed to the bloody figure beside him. Jesus had been brought back from Herod's court. Now, as we learned on Wednesday, um, Herod and and, uh, Pilate now are becoming friends because of this a bit. But he's brought back to what's called the praetorium, where the praetor, the, the leader, the Roman leader in this case, is. And Pilate faces Jesus again, having to make a decision. So far, there's no evidence, there's no testimony that was sufficient to convict Jesus. So Pilate takes another route. He says, you have a custom. At the Passover, 
I release a prisoner to you. And Pilate's pretty confident, I think, that the crowd will take the religious fanatic over public enemy number one, Barabbas. So he offers, who will you have? Will you have Barabbas or will you have Jesus, the king of the Jews, who's called the Christ? Now, no doubt that when he did that, it caused quite a bit of surprise among the crowd. And the chief priests and the the accomplices quickly spread word that they wanted Barabbas. But one thing we don't read about here in the book of John, but in Matthew, is that during this time and before this time, Pilate had received a note from his wife. And that note said, and you can read the whole thing in, in the regard to what happens Barabbas in Matthew 27, but she sent him a note and she said to Pilate, have nothing to do with that righteous man because I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. So even his wife sends him this note. But Pilate can't turn back now. So what does he do? He sends Jesus to the whipping post. None of the evangelists, none of the gospel writers recount the details of that part of Jesus' suffering. What I'd like to read for you, Dr. R.C.H. Lenski, a very well-known Lutheran commentator, explains what Jesus suffered with regards to the Roman aspect of things. Quoting him, here's what he says. Stripped of clothes, the body was bent forward across a low pillar. The back stretched and exposed to the blows. To hold the body in a position, the victim's hands must have been tied to rings in the floor or at the base of the pillar in front and the feet to rings behind. We cannot agree that, is her, that the hands were tied behind the man's back for this would place them across the small of the back where some of the blows were to fall and would shield the ribs where the whip ends were to lacerate the flesh. The Romans did not use rods as the Jews did, each rod making only one stripe, cutting only the back. They used short-handled whips, each provided with several leather lashes, ugly acorn-shaped pieces of lead or lumps of bone being fastened to the end of each short lash. The strokes were laid on with full force, and when the executioners tired, the officers shouted, Adai Virgus or Firme, demanding more force, and the effect was horrible. The skin and the flesh of the back were gashed to the very bone. And when the armed ends of the lashes struck, deep bloody holes were torn. With his back lacerated and torn, Jesus is then pushed brutally into the judgment hall to be made sport of by the soldiers. For many Roman soldiers, the only diversion was brutality. They were experts at toying with their prey as a cat cruelly tortures a mouse. Off comes the victim's clothes, and up marches a grinning soldier with an old purple robe he discovered. The dirty, ragged symbol of royalty is thrown rudely over his bleeding shoulders as another comes forward with some thorns and brambles that he's fashioned into a rude crown. As the rest gleefully shout their approval, the soldier with the thorns brings them crashing down on Jesus' head. A third walks up with a reed and places it with mock seriousness in the king's hand. Then begins the most shameful mockery as the sadistic soldiers begin to kneel in mocking worship, jump up around, dance around him, spit in his face, and strike him with their fists. 
Suddenly, Pilate enters, and the proceeding halts abruptly. He calls for the soldiers to bring Jesus out before the people again. And the soldiers, surly, perhaps because their fun has been interrupted, push Jesus out into the pavement beside Pilate with even more unkind hands. And there he stands with even more, his head covered with thorns that have scratched and torn his scalp, his face white and drawn but also so placid, his lacerated shoulders covered with the tattered robe. And from his bound hands the reed still hangs limply. And to this the figure Pilate points as he says, Behold the man. question for us as we think about this is what will we see as we look at Jesus in his passion and his death here we need prepared minds we need the Holy Spirit to see this rightly we need him to enlighten us with his gifts as it says in the catechism to behold the man. For there has never been anyone in history about whom the devil has concocted so many false notions as Jesus our Lord. So in all seriousness here just a little bit, what do you see when you behold Jesus, the man, in the blood-matted robe and the crown of thorns? You know what some people see? Some people see merely a victim a perverted injustice here of mob rule, of a lynching spirit or barbaric cruelty here. The danger of recounting the passion of the Christ sometimes when we look at all these things, particularly all the physical agonies, is that we become so sympathetic from these things that we miss the essence of what Jesus really did. We would have to have a heart of stone, though, to miss the awfulness and to not be filled with that emotion because it was awful, more than we can even imagine. But pity for Jesus here is not the key. Remember, Jesus could have called, as the old song says, He could have called 10,000 angels to to set Him free. (laughs) But if we just see Him as a helpless victim and we just have pity, If it's pity that we want, then there are many others who have been victimized and tortured like Jesus was too. But how do we see Jesus? Do we see him merely as a victim? Or maybe some people see him merely as a hero whose bravery and fortitude are to excite the virtues of courage and bravery within us. Sometimes in our culture, we try to do this with Jesus. Even in Sunday school. We, we try to make Jesus a superhero today. I think in the best meaning of things we do that sometimes. But if we do it just for the bravado and the daring and, and Jesus having these superpowers, so to speak, we're missing who Jesus is. He's not merely a hero. It almost seems a little cheap and sacrilegious to say that Jesus is just my hero. How do you see Jesus? Do you see him merely as a martyr? 
dying for a great cause and thus by the weight of that sacrifice urging us to accept his cause? Jesus didn't die for a cause. He deliberately gave his life for you and for me. (laughs) Jesus said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus never said, accept the cause I give my life for. But rather he said, accept me. I gave my life for you. How do you see Jesus? Do you behold him merely as a symbol? A lot of people see him just as a symbol today. It's one of the most subtly false ideas about the suffering and dying that Jesus went through. That it's just a mere manifestation of God's love and nothing more. The reasoning is this. This is the way they go about it. They say God wanted to show us how much he loves us, so he sent his son to suffer the cruelties of men and the shame of crucifixion. This demonstration of love is intended, therefore, to excite love in the hearts of those who behold it and thereby bring back men to God. Now the sufferings of Christ and his cross most surely do demonstrate the love of God. We should never miss that aspect of it. But if that is all he did was this a symbol, that would be the same as if there was a son that was going to be hanged and the father came and killed himself before his son to show that he loved his son. It would just be showing that. It would just be an act or a drama thing to show something. But you know what? Drama cannot redeem. (laughs) The suffering and the bleeding that Christ went through must be more than just some heaven-sent actor to depict in dramatic terms how much God loves a dying world. How do you behold him? Do we see him as a mere example? As he stands there patiently enduring pain and quietly suffering injustice. Thank God for the example of Jesus, but thank God that he's not only an example. Because that would make it a tiny, a very small gospel, not very much good news, because the story of Jesus then would be... It would amount to this. A perfect man once lived on this earth and the result of his perfection was rejection by men and cruel death. Now to be saved, you and I have to imitate his life and meet death as he did. Otherwise, there's no salvation. He's much more than an example, isn't he? If he's just an example, that's bad news. That's condemnation because we can't meet that standard. What sadness and bitterness if the gospel is about what we do rather than about what Jesus did. These don't make sense. They don't. They miss the point. They don't explain the meaning of the shame and the injustice and the cruelty and the pain. If Jesus were merely a victim... Merely a hero, merely a martyr, merely a symbol, or merely an example. We wouldn't even be here today talking about him or listening again to his story and going with him all the way to the cross. 
In Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, it says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. and We esteemed him not. We just as soon forget the gruesome sight, the blood, the crown of thorns, except for this one fact that gives meaning to this forlorn, forsaken figure. The one truth that reveals what we must see as we behold the man. It's this. He is our substitute. Jesus is our substitute. He is standing there for me, for you. He died for me and for you. There's a story that happened to some English officers in a war in India that serves to illustrate the meaning of that great truth that Jesus took my place. Those English officers had been taken prisoners among them. There was a man by the name of Baird was his name. He had been severely wounded, but when the enemy officer came into the prison with the fetters, with the the iron and the shackles for all the prisoners, Baird was not to be um, accepted from taking it as well. He had to have these irons as well. He was to wear the chains in spite of how weak he was. But one of the other prisoners, a gray-haired officer, asked the enemy guard, he said, will it be necessary to put the chains on Barrett? He can't move anyway. And the, the officer said, there are just as many pairs of chains here as there are captives. And every pair must be worn. Then said the officer, Put two pairs on me. I'll take him. I'll take his as well as my own. By the way, Baird lived to regain his freedom. But his friend, that officer, died. The one who had worn the fellow prisoner's chains died in prison. How do you think Baird looked on his friend? Did he look on him as a mere hero? Did he look on him as a martyr? As an example? Perhaps those things can be looked at in a bit, but you know what he looked at him as? A man who took my chains and gave himself for me. Here's the great secret the truth that we must not miss when we behold the man. We must see the one who's in our place. The one who in our place bore all of our sins, as the body says, or as the Bible says, in his body on the tree. He took what we should have taken. He suffered and died for me. You and I can say that. He suffered and died for me. That little word for, F-O-R, has quite the gospel in it. 
We can do many verses. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 10, 15, Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And even in the words of institution today, this is my body given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 1 John 2.2, He is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Substitution is the key that unlocks the meaning to the whole story of Christ's suffering and death. He bore it all for someone else. And that someone else is me, and that someone else is you. Let me close by just going back to someone else who would fully understand this that day. Or I don't know if he would fully understand it, but it happened for him. Barabbas that day was in the death cell that Friday morning. His crimes were specific. They were worthy of death. He had been a murderer and a ringleader and a rebellion against the government. Now he's awaiting execution. He knows he's supposed to die. Outside he hears the sound of the hammers. He hears the saws. And he knows that this is the day that he and two other criminals are to be crucified. And he shudders as he thinks of the nails that will be driven through his hands and his feet, of hanging in the hot sun, of the final blow across his legs. His heart grows cold. He gets sick feeling inside. His ears catch the sound of the mob in the distance crying, Crucify him. It must be the public clamoring for his execution. By the way, I'm giving this to you. It's somebody who's written this, and I think it's well written. Suddenly at the end of the corridor from his dark, damp cell, a door swings open, and Barabbas hears the tramp of heavy feet. Guards are coming nearer and nearer. They must be coming to his cell. He draws back instinctively. The guards stop at his cell, but he's barely able to make out their shapes in the darkness. And then he hears the key turn in the lock and the rusty door clanks open and like the crack of a whip comes the centurion's voice, Barabbas, come out. Now it will soon be over. He who had ruthlessly murdered others in cold blood cringes. Rough hands grab his shoulders and practically drag him down the long corridor for his feet are growing more and more reluctant to carry him. And finally the outer door is reached and passing through it, they enter into the bright sunshine that blinds Barabbas for a moment. And then suddenly he feels the hands loosen and he turns perplexed to hear the guard say, Go on, Barabbas, you're free. Free. Don't taunt me. Let's get it over with. No, the guard says, go on, you're free. What? Me? Free? Why? How can I be free? I'm condemned to die. 
They've made a cross for me. Maybe he points to the three crosses that they've put together against the wall. Go on, you're free. There's another one going to die on your cross today. Who, asked Barabbas? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth is the reply. He's taken your place. I like to think, the writer here says, that Barabbas went out to Calvary to the crucifixion and watched them drive the nails. I like to think that he stood near the cross and said to himself, he took my place. I I who deserve death am free. He who deserved life died on my tells us here in what we've written, they released Barabbas, but Jesus was delivered to be crucified. Who is this Jesus? He's our substitute. Yours and mine will accept that substitution. What will you do with him? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for taking us all along this way. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for being our substitute. Help us, Lord, to reply as even in this song, we hit that last verse to reply to you, what we will do with you. Thank you for what you have done for us. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.